Father, we thank you for those words. Thank you for all the words that you have given us to sing and pray and speak and listen to today. We thank you that we are about to open your holy word, which we will listen as I preach. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate every heart and mind, those present here today, those watching online, wherever they are all over this world, that you would do a mighty work, that we would recognize our dependence on you for that grace, that irresistible grace to, to rise us up, to believe the truth, and to give us the power to live the life that you've called us to live as becomes the followers of Christ. We pray this, Jesus, in your holy, perfect name. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. This summer, we are anchoring in chapter 2 of Acts. And from there, taking on the themes that were consistent with the new believers. 3,000 people coming to Christ on that day of Pentecost. We are told that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. So this summer... Each Sunday, we'll be looking at one of those means of grace. The word, prayer, fellowship, and prayers of the saints, which we've even heard this day. So what I'm going to do this morning is take us through two sections of the Old Testament, one portion of Jesus' sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and then back to Acts 2. This is God's word again, beginning in Deuteronomy 6 with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates." And now from Joshua 1.8, Joshua succeeding Moses receives these words from the Lord. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as recorded by Matthew. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And now from Acts 2, following the day of Pentecost, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Words 
are very important. Words are very important. What we say and how we respond to what we hear, read, and think. Words really matter. Words are the power to give life and they have the power to destroy. People have been killed over words and people have died standing up for the word. In a culture today, and this isn't brand new, but it certainly fuels it, in a culture that is very much us versus them, Everywhere. Us versus them. Inside the walls of the church and outside the walls of the church. On every media platform and on almost every podcast. People speaking as well as those listening. Us versus them. And the us versus them has people with their hand quickly on their sword, ready to devour ready to speak sharply, ready to disagree and refute. Christians have a word. And it's not just a word. It's the word. It is the living power of God's authoritative word in our life. As Christians... We are rooted deeply in this book. But this is not just an ordinary book. This is a book from beginning to end that is God's holy word, all of it. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Every bit of it, even the long chapters that just have names, even the details of how to build the temple, all of it is God's word. And people who profess faith in Christ are to be devoted to this word. When the apostles at Pentecost had the Holy Spirit pour into them and they spoke in other tongues and languages and over 3,000 people were added to their number that day, Luke, who's writing Acts, tells us that this group of people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But what does it mean to devote yourself to something? Devoted means to remain loyal, to be committed. As members of this church, and if you're a guest today, even for the first time online or live, welcome. And something, if you, if you look closely, even at this pulpit, you will see is our loyalty and commitment to the word of God. The pulpit actually is a symbol that represents the word of God so that you know I'm not just up here giving you my opinion. I'm not just arguing something that I think might be right. And I'm certainly not the authority I'm standing in and on something that is much greater than me, in and on the very living, powerful word of God. And when the designers designed this pulpit, it's unique. 
one of the things that they did is they created a, an image that's really powerful that if you have never paid close attention, you've probably missed. At the foot of this pulpit, this cast iron, if you look closely, you see things sprouting out. And what that is, is fruit. It symbolizes wheat, that the minister is proclaiming the very living, powerful word of God. And as it goes out and is, is sown, it takes root. And when it takes root in people's lives, it produces fruit, fruit that can be seen. When we who are in Christ live out that which we have been told, that which we know, that fruitfulness is seen. And this is very important today. Words matter. But not just the words, the way in which the words are spoken and received. The word of God is our authority. It is the foundation and the bedrock on which we stand from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of Revelation. This foundation doesn't enable us just to say, I have an idea and I'm louder than you and I'm more passionate than you so I can convince you. No, dear friends, we stand on something that is God's perfect holy word. And as we stand on it, as its living power moves through us, it enables us to be the people God's called us to be. But this is very important. Knowing his word is not enough. Satan knows his word. The Pharisees knew his word. Knowing is not enough. It's knowing and living the very word that we know. And what that means is we don't just pay attention to the truth that's here. We pay attention to how the truth, Jesus Christ, who is the word, has called us to live that truth out. You see the significance of the word of God in the passages I've given you. Think with me for a minute, dads. It's Father's Day. Grandfathers, this is a day we celebrate you. We're thankful for the men that God has put in our lives that have pointed us to Jesus, who have shown us what it means to know and live the word of God. But raising children today is really challenging with all that we see going on around us. Little ones feel it. They feel the fact that the world isn't the same as it was a few months ago. Why are people wearing masks? Why are boards up on the stores? Why can't we go over there? When will the swimming pool open? How come dot, dot, dot? So many things have changed. If they're old enough to see the news, why are there riots? Why are people setting buildings on fire? Why is it so violent? Why is it so dangerous? The world is a dangerous world, and it has been since the fall, and it's going to be until Christ returns. 
The world is so dangerous that in order to redeem his people, God had to send his one and only son to die for us who are God-haters, and he did. Words matter, and the most important word is the word himself, Jesus. This church, as well as all churches that belong to the one true church, meaning they lift up this word, they believe in this word, they're one in Christ with us, they too have trusted in the one who is the word. But from the beginning of this book to the end, you see the importance that's there. Fathers, listen to the advice and counsel and command that was given in Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Men, when our children look at us, they should see that the word of God is deeply in our hearts. They should be able to answer when asked what matters to your dad or what words matter to your dad. It's the word of God that matters to my dad. But not just knowing it that matters, that he lives it out. Moses said, you shall teach these words diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. What is he saying? That all of our life is a lesson. All of our life is teaching our children the word of God and what matters most. Moses isn't saying that it's just one family devotion after another after another. And you know how hard that is. I mean, as a father who's a pastor who prepares lessons and sermons forever, I promise you, my children don't say, Father, is it now time for a family devotion? Please bring your tremendous wisdom into our lives. That's not how it works. Because there's a real enemy that doesn't want me to even try. But I think if you ask my kids what matters most, they would see it not because our family devotions are incredible or even consistent, but they see me with the word open in the morning. They hear me as I talk about the conflicts raging around us with racism and injustice and all forms of evil like abortion and all forms of evil like sexism and pornography and all other manners of evil that I'm speaking not from a place of, this is my opinion, but this is what God's word says. And when they see the disconnect in my life between the word that I say I believe and the actions that I'm doing or not doing, they lovingly call me out. They're old enough to do that now. Words matter. Words are really important. The Shema speaks about this great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might. As Joshua was succeeding Moses, can you imagine that challenge? He had a God who was leading him, the same God who led Moses. He had a God who was with him, the same God who was with Moses. He had a God who promised to never forsake him, just like he had promised that to Moses. And what did Joshua hear? Be strong 
be courageous. Do you know why he was told that? Because he was going to have to be. He was going to experience hatred, not even from another race or another nation. That would come too, but even from his own. That happens in the church. It happens with God's people. Be strong and courageous. Then concerning the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord says, do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be good and have success wherever you go. Do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. He says, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to know everything written in it. Did I say something wrong? I did. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say to know everything written in it. It says to do everything written in it. Knowing the word of God is not enough. It's doing that which we know. It is the word of God that is alive and powerful and our authority in us that's changing us, that reveals things to us, that exposes sin in us, that between now and the time we go to heaven, we are being sanctified by the word and spirit. So in humility, I love Ash's prayer, and Pete's prayer, humble us. In humility, we can say, yes, that evil is in me. Yes, I do struggle with that. Yes, I have fallen short of the glory of God. And by his word and spirit, we're changed into the likeness more and more like the word Jesus Knowing and living the word of God is what it means to be a deep follower of Jesus. Some people equate depth with knowledge. That's not deep. No matter how intelligent, how, how dense the books you are reading are, no matter how old they are, if God's word in your life is not leading to a life that's following that word, you are not a deep Christian. To be deep is to be a woman or a man of faith in Christ where his word is pressing in us so deeply that it has to find a place to exit. And the place it exits is through our hands and our feet. And when the body of Christ is living out that which we know in a way that is so beautiful, the world takes note. But there's another instrument that often gets in the way, and it's called the tongue. These are not my words. They're the Apostle James, who was carried along by the Spirit. And here's what he said. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, 
These things ought not to be so. That's the word of God. And because we live in this us versus them culture, and because that us versus them exists inside the walls of the church and outside the walls of the church, so many today who even proclaim the name of Christ have their hand on their sword, just ready to whack away. Like Peter in the garden cuts the man's ear off defending Christ. I believe he was aiming for his head. He got his ear. And Jesus said, Peter, put away your sword. And he picked up the man, or he touched the man and healed his ear. The word of God came. And the word of God has been revealed. As a believer in Jesus, this is our living, powerful authority. But it's not just about knowing the truth. It is about living the life that truth teller calls us to live. And we forget, I'm afraid, how radical Jesus' words were. Here's some of them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. I get that. Here's another one. Love your neighbor as yourselves. I get that. Those two alone are not that hard, really. Here's why. I like my neighbors. Some of them are members of this church. Not sure they always like me. But it's not hard for me to love them. It's not even hard for me to want to love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I fall short. I have his grace, just like you. But Jesus didn't just say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He didn't just say, love your neighbors as yourself. He said, love your enemies. Love the ones to whom you want to strike with a sword. Love those that immediately come to you and their words, written or spoken, rise up in you, this us versus them. And when that happens, and it will happen, as a Christian, you're called to love. Sometimes we are tempted to think that if we show love, we're compromising the truth. That's not true. You don't have to show love and assume that's going to compromise the truth. But I will tell you this, that when the church looks most ugly, it's when in the name of truth, we won't show love. And in the name of truth, when we don't show love, we dim, we damage, we can even ultimately destroy a person's view of the one who is the truth. And this is where the opportunity for us to shine or Christ to shine in and through us is present right now. You've probably heard over the last many weeks 
as we have encountered all of this injustice and racial tensions, and I'm sure many of you are like, I just want it to go away. It's not going away fast. It's been around a long time. And more will follow, even if this was solved immediately. It's a broken world. It's a dangerous world. But the opportunity for the church, and you hear this, is to rise up. Many will say the only institution that can really bring reconciliation here is the church. It's actually true. It doesn't mean other institutions like health and economics and politics and other forms won't be necessary, but the church has the power to do something that is unlike any institution in the world. And that is to love. To love with a love like the love of Christ. Where we actually can hear something that is not true, offensive, hurtful, and not quickly draw a sword to slice, but can respond as Jesus did by loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. This is our authority. Not just in content truth, but in applied truth. And Jesus is the one who said in that same sermon I quoted from earlier, these very words, I know them because they're in my heart. I need them often. Blessed are you, and that word blessed in the Greek means happy. Blessed are you when people insult you. Falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Persecute you because of me. Happy? Happy am I when I'm insulted? Happy am I when I'm persecuted? Happy am I when people falsely say all kinds of evil against me? I don't know about you, but my first reaction is never happy. It's to grab. It's to slice. It's to exercise an authority that is other than the authority that I really am bound to. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And he goes on, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. When the 3,000 at Pentecost devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they were not devoting themselves to a popular teaching. They were devoting themselves to a teaching that had just murdered the founder of that teaching. They were devoting themselves to a teaching where the governing authority surrounding them hated it. They were devoting themselves to a teaching where the religious leaders who also said they believe in this book were the ones coming after them. There were many amongst that 3,000, I promise you, who had families say, if you follow the way, which is what it was called, it's the way of Jesus, who is the way, the truth and the life, if you follow the way, you will have no part of our family. That still happens today. They had to give up so many rights. 
But because irresistible grace had caught them. Because when they heard Peter's sermon, they couldn't stay in their seat, but were compelled up, were lifted up to say, what must we do? They listened and obeyed. And then they devoted themselves to their teaching, loyal and committed. This Thursday, we'll be airing a Deep Light interview that I did with Annie Roberson, who's a longtime dear sister and friend of this church, part of a Sunday morning community here. She's in her 70s. We had a great conversation this week. You should watch it. One of the things Annie said, though, when she was telling her testimony, that when the preacher preached, I could not stay in my seat. I had to get up. And as they played just as I am, and that's exactly what it was for a lot of people, she had to get up. That's called irresistible grace. But in that interview, there's numerous times where she just begins to spew out the word of God. And in the middle of our conversation, kind of just starts praying the word of God because it's deep in her. She knows it and she's living it. And I ask her or make this statement, the word of God really matters to you, doesn't it, Annie? And she says, oh, the word of God is my life. She means two things by that. This word, God's word, is her life. This is her authority. She knows it and she's living it. But she's also speaking of Jesus who is called the word. Words are really important. The word of God, Jesus Christ, was sent to this earth by his father because of how evil it had become, because of the fall. Jesus heard many words in his life, many false accusations, many questions, many betrayals. And he also heard the people he had created shout out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Only later to say, Crucify him. Crucify him. On the cross, there weren't a lot of words that Jesus spoke, but everyone mattered. One phrase was this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus' words are radical. Just knowing them is not enough. Living out the word that he's called us to live in profound Christ-centered love has the power to do what nothing else can. And that is the people of God responding the way Jesus would respond even against our enemies. Not fearful of compromising the truth, but eager 
to show them the love of Christ, even when falsely accused, even when insulted, even when persecuted. That kind of love is likely to be noted. And when people say, how could you respond with such charity? We smile and say, because he first loved me. Because I never deserved his love. Never. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just knowledge, though. It's knowledge lived out, powerful, alive, authoritative, in love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, a perfect father, a perfect father that sends his perfect son, the word of God incarnate, the living God, the powerful God, with every word he spoke, and in response to every word he heard, he never sinned, not in thought, not in word, not in deed. He lived the perfect life so that all who are in him could be redeemed, reconciled to the Father. Lord Jesus, you died, and then you rose from the dead, and now you live to intercede on our behalf, our King, and you've given us everything that is necessary with the power of the Holy Spirit living in us to be the reconcilers that you have called us to be. You reconciling yourself to your people. Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. Father, as we close in this hymn, it is a familiar and beautiful tune to words that we don't sing very often. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate these words in our hearts and minds now that we might see the power of your word at work even this day and lift our voices to bring you glory and praise. We ask in Jesus' holy, holy name. Amen.